invite you this morning to take your Bible, look at me in the book of 1 John. 1 John, as we start a series of messages this morning that will last uh, us about five weeks as we want to think on this idea as we journey through the book of 1 John, blessed assurance. And let me preface this series and this message by saying this, as a follower of Jesus, there are certain things that I believe not because I am a, a Baptist, but because I believe the Bible to be inspired. I believe the Bible to be the very Word of God. I believe it is inerrant. I believe it is infallible. I believe that it is perfect in every way. I don't believe that I'm able to understand it all, but I believe that God knows it all. And I believe that the Bible that you hold in your hand or the app when you open it up, those words that you read, that does not just contain the Word of God. I believe that it is indeed the Word of God. And as such, what informs my doctrine, what informs what I believe, then by uh, impact or extension, what should change how I live is the truth contained in the Word of God. Now, one of those doctrines that I believe Scripture to teach me is a doctrine called eternal security. Now, you'll hear people use different terms to describe that. Uh, some will may say, maybe say it's the security of the believer or once saved, always saved, whatever uh, label you want to use. It's this doctrine of eternal security. And just like with any doctrine anywhere, we need to understand that man can abuse this doctrine, man can distort this doctrine, man can misuse this doctrine. For example, have you ever come across someone who said, well, if I believe in eternal security, then that must mean that I can get saved and just go do whatever I want to, because once I'm saved, I'm always saved. That is a misuse and an abuse of this doctrine. That's not excuse me, done correctly. So I want to spend the next few weeks with you working through the book of 1 John, exploring this doctrine from a biblical perspective because there is great value in us laying hold of this truth. And, and I want to share with you why that's so important before we kind of look at an overview of this morning. More than any other time I, in my life, I need to know that God is with me. I, I need to know that God has redeemed me. I need to know that God is at work within me. I, I need to know that what God has started in me, He will bring it to completion. That'd make a great Bible verse. I need to know that the Holy Spirit that is within me has sealed me until my day of redemption. I need to know that my future is secure. So of all the places that we could look in Scripture, we're going to slice but one piece of the blessed assurance pie, and that is from the book of 1 
John. This book is all about assurance. It's about blessed assurance that Jesus gives to us. John was one of the disciples that was most close to Jesus. He wrote of assurance often, not just in 1 John, but in the Gospel of John, he writes of the assurance we have. And we'll see a little bit of, a little bit of that this morning. Uh, as well in Revelation, we even see what John wrote, some, some great aspects of our security, the assurance we have in Jesus. This is a, a needed doctrine today because I believe that there are many people in this room and watching us online today, man, we want to know that we are saved, but sometimes we can't figure it out. No, no matter how many times we, we pray a prayer, we can't find the assurance of our salvation. Well, did I get the prayer right? Did I use the right words? Was I sorry enough about my sin and my repentance when I prayed? Did I repent the right way, that I sufficiently understand grace, and, and, and to even and maybe further complicate matters is to understand something Jesus told us. You know, Jesus never said that once you become His, you're no longer His, but Jesus did say that there are people who think they are saved, and they're not. He said in Matthew chapter 7 that on that last day, many people will stand before Him, and they will say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in Your name, and Your name cast out demons, and in your name do mighty, wonderful things. And Jesus said, I will say to them, depart from me, you who work iniquity, I never knew you. So it's something we need to pay attention to this morning. My goal is not to confuse you. My goal is very simply, over the next five weeks, to do this, to provide a space for the Holy Spirit to bring you to one of two places, either to a point of conviction or to a place of comfort. My goal over this time together, again, it's not to confuse you, but it is for those of you who may think you have a relationship with Jesus, but you don't, I hope that the Holy Spirit will bring you to a point of conviction that that relationship is not there. And for those of us who, who have that relationship with Jesus, and we sometimes doubt and waver, my goal is that we get to a point where the Holy Spirit will comfort us. Now, John writes this first epistle, and, and we're going to answer the question this morning, can assurance even be attained? And he writes this first epistle, the book of 1 John, with the goal of helping those who would read it to have the assurance that they know God, that God loves them, that they're walking with God. We're going to go to the end of the book and see the, his summary that's going to provide us with an introduction for our series today. If you haven't yet got to 1 John, the best advice I can give you, this is from seminary, is to go to 2 John and back up one more. You're welcome. Your co-opted program dollars at work. 1 John chapter 5, let's read verses 13 through 18. John speaking, he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. I'm writing these so you may know, you may have assurance and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. 
And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of Him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We could say so many things. We could spend so much time diving into just those few verses that we've read, but I want us to try to understand it by looking at it in two broad categories as we answer this question, can assurance be attained? Can assurance be attained? Is it possible for us to know that we have a relationship with God because that knowledge will transform how we live our lives in an uncertain time. So, two broad categories this morning. The first one is this. I want us to think about the possibility of assurance, okay? The, the, the possibility. Does God even want us to have assurance? Does God want us to know that we are saved? Is it even possible for us to receive such assurance from God? Some people would actually say no. Some people will say that no, that, that not knowing is how God keeps us in line. That if we don't know, we may think that we have to act a certain way to get God's favor. Or that we have to do certain things to keep in good standing with God. If you don't act right, you won't get into heaven. And so God's going to keep us in the dark. So does God want us to? Look at verse 13. Now, again, I, I went to school for a lot of years, and I learned one thing, that if you pay them enough money, they'll give you any degree. Uh, you give them enough money, they'll give you a Ph.D. if you give them enough money. And uh, I tend, even though I've gone to school for a long time, I tend to read a verse as it is written for what it means. I know, novel idea that you just understand and interpret Scripture literally. Look at verse 13. Let's, let's practice that. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know. I want you to know that you have it. Does God want us to know for sure that we are saved? I'll give you a clue. The answer is the opposite of no. Yes. <clears throat> Beyond a shadow of a doubt. He's writing this so we can know. God loves his children. And when God loves his children, when you love someone, you want them to know that you love them. You want them to have that assurance. But, but just uh, you know, sometimes for some people just saying yes is not enough. They, they want some more evidences of this, some, some more understanding of is it possible to have this assurance. And just, I want to take you real quick to, to John's gospel. And I'll, there's just a couple of verses that'll be on the screen. But, but in John's gospel, Jesus uses some metaphors to let us know that assurance is possible. Uh, for example, one analogy he uses in John's gospel is that uh, Jesus makes it clear that in our relationship with God, we are his children. And in doing that, Jesus says this in John 14, 18, I will not leave you as orphans. 
Instead, I will come to you. You see, a loving, good father doesn't want his kids wondering whether or not he loves them or is committed to them. Imagine if I got ready to go on a trip or on a meeting somewhere, and I told my family before I left, look, kids, I love you, or maybe I don't. <laughs> maybe you're not even my real, maybe my real family is to this other place where I'm going. And if I decide that I love you, then I might come back. If I decide that I want you to be my kids more than I want them to be my kids, then I'll come back here with you. I want you just to chew on that while I go off on this trip, and, and maybe that'll change your behavior. Now, would that change their behavior? It might change their behavior, but you, know, but you know what? It won't change their heart. It might, out of, out of fear, that might coerce behavior, but it won't captivate your heart. I don't want my children to feel like orphans, and, and if me, a fallen father, has that desire, would God, who is a far better father than me, want his children to fear that they might be orphans? No. God relates to us as a father to a child, but another analogy that really sticks out to me is Jesus pointing out that in our relationship with God, we are his bride. You know, a, a soon-to-be husband wants his soon-to-be bride to know that she is loved. Just like a man assures his fiancée that he loves her before he leaves and comes back to marry her, Jesus told his disciples that they could be sure he was coming back for them and by extension us. In John chapter 14 and verse 3, Jesus says this, and I go and prepare a place for you, and if I prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that there where I am, you may be also. Now, some scholars believe that this is uh, wedding imagery, wedding language that Jesus is using. And it's kind of interesting that in Jesus' day, the soon-to-be husband would travel to the home of his beloved. He would throw a party and request her hand in marriage. Assuming she said yes, that soon-to-be groom would go back to his father's home where he would start building a room added onto the family living space for he and his wife to occupy as they begin their lives together. When that place was finished, he would come back for his bride, but before he left her, he would give her a promise, I'm going away, but I'm coming back to get you. You see, we are the objects of God's affection. And it is the assurance of love from God that produces within us a love for God. The reason we love God is because He loved us. We love Him because He first... That's another good Bible verse that they ought to put somewhere. It's in there, by the way, if you're like, is this guy trying to add to Scripture? It's in. This is not another testament of Jesus Christ. It's in there already. We love him because he first loved us. We're the objects of God's affection. So in our relationship with God, we are his children, we're his bride, but we're also his friends. We're his friends. 
Jesus speaking in John 15, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. Friendship carries with it a feeling of safety. When you have a true friendship with someone, you can let your guard down. You can be yourself. You can be authentic. You can be vulnerable. And those kinds of friendships only grow in the soil of security and trust. They only grow when there is assurance that you are friends. The deepest friendships involves people for which you would die. Jesus would say elsewhere in John's gospel, greater love has no man than this, that he would lay down his life for his friends. And he looked at his disciples as he speaks to us, and he said, you are my friends. So there's a big difference in Jesus being our friend and you being someone else's friend. You know how when you first meet someone, you try to kind of figure out if you like them? You know you got to love them, but you kind of figure out if you like them, right? And in that pro- don't look at me like you haven't ever done that. And the, the more you get to know them, and sometimes people are like, yeah, I like them. But sometimes you go, oh, maybe we're better friends on Facebook than we are in real life, right? But you see, here's the thing about Jesus. We showed him the very worst side of ourselves, our sin. And in spite of that, he chose to be our friend. We offered him the very worst we had to offer him, and he still bore our shame and consequences in our place. That is a friendship that births assurance. Does God want you to know? Can you have assurance? Absolutely, yes, it is possible. Here's the second big category. What about the proof of assurance? What about this proof of assurance? Now, if having assurance is possible, how can we lay hold of it? And I'm trying to be very, very careful the language I use. I didn't say, how can we gain it? I said, how can we lay hold of it? How can we know that we belong to God. Now, John identifies in this concluding text a couple of proofs, and, and all, all I'm going to do today is I'm going to introduce them to you, and we're going to spend the next several weeks peeling back the layers of what he's getting at and what he's telling us, not just here in this text, but in other places in 1 John as well. And really, there, there are two proofs that, that when you recognize them in your life, give you assurance Help you know that you know that you belong to God. And the first proof is this. Your hope for heaven is placed entirely upon Jesus. Okay, if, so, so what I'm telling you <clears throat> is that if your hope in heaven is placed securely and solely upon Jesus, if that's taken place in your life, that gives you assurance. Because you're relying upon Jesus to save you, and if you're only relying upon Jesus to save you, who can you also not rely on to save you? You. The, 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 the proof is not your hope for heaven is placed halfway on Jesus and halfway on you. The assurance, the proof is that your hope for heaven is placed entirely upon Jesus. Go back to verse 13. <clears throat> we keep coming back to it. 
I write these things to you who believe, this is important, who believe in the name of the Son of God. Not who believe in the name of you, but those who believe in the name of the Son of God. When John says, you who believe in God's name, he is saying, when you hang your salvation hat on the hook of Jesus. Let me give you this analogy or illustration. Suppose you're going to a hotel, which is something far outside your ability to pay, and someone sends you there, and someone says, I'm going to pay everything. I'm going to pay for your room. I'm going to pay for it. It's one of those nice hotels, one of those swanky ones that have room service, that have well, where, where a hamburger costs $313, all right? <laughs> it's one of those. And there's no way that your weekly budget could, could, could sustain one day, much less uh, a week there. But the person told you, you go charge it all to my account. When you go to check in, you're going to check in under that person's name, and you're going to say all charges are under his account. Everything that happens is on his account. He has paid it all. There's nothing left for me to do. I am basing my whole experience uh, in sleeping at this hotel tonight. I'm basing everything, the food, how much they charge you to turn down the bed, those soft little chocolates and mints they put on a pillow, everything that it's extra. I'm putting it all on this guy's account. Don't charge it to my account. I'm under this person's name. When you believe in the name of the Son of God, <coughs> you are resting in His actions to save you. Not yours. His actions to save you. You're not trying to get your way into heaven by drawing from your own moral account. You're resting on his actions to see. See, the gospel, the gospel by its very nature produces assurance. The gospel causes us to abandon depending on how good we, we have been or on how much we have done to earn our way into a relationship with Jesus. Rather, the gospel compels us to rest in his finished work for us. Look, there is nothing left for you to do for salvation. Nothing remains undone. Jesus did it all. Jesus paid it all. Jesus has finished finish the work, and all that remains is for you to accept it and rest in it. <clears throat> now you say, Pastor, that doesn't sound fair. That's why we call it grace. That's what we sing about all morning. It's not fair. That's why we need to be thankful that God is God. And I'm not God, because if I was God, I'd zap every one of you. <laughs> First time. Psst. That's why we call it grace, that we rest all of our hope entirely upon Jesus. And proof number two is this. The second proof of assurance in this text, you have received a new nature that's been given to you by God. He says in verse 16, if anyone's Sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death, there is a sin that leads to death. 
I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. Look at verse 18. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. Don't miss this. If you have been born of God, you have been given a new nature, and with a new nature comes new desires. That does not mean the old desires are gone. That does not mean the old nature disappears. The fact that we're given a new nature means now that we have a sin nature and we have a spirit nature. We want to do good. We want to honor God, but we keep sinning. We keep falling into sin. There's not a day goes by that we do not sin in thought, word, or deed. John does not say that we'll never sin. But he says that the believer with his new nature will not keep on sinning. And what he means by that in the language of the Greek, what he means by that does not keep on sinning. He's referring to a habitual pattern of sin with no repentance, with no sorrow over that sin. And the reason there's no repent, the reason there's no sorrow is there's no new nature that desires to do what is righteous over that which is sinful. So if in your life, if you've never had a desire to honor God, <coughs> excuse me, if, if, if your nature has no desire to, to glorify God, if, if you have no remorse over sin, that should not reassure you of a relationship with God. That should point you to the fact that you need God. But when you come into a relationship with God, He gives you a new nature so that sin is no longer your master. Look, what He says It's with this new nature when, not if, when you begin to go back to sin, which we all do, Jesus protects us and renews us. This is what he means when he says, but he who was born of God, that's Jesus, if you've been born of God, the one who was born of God, Jesus protects you. All of us sin. All of us backslide. The sign of someone who is saved is that they always come back to their new nature. One of the signs that your salvation is genuine is that you never permanently fall away from it. God brings you back to it over and over again. You say, Pastor, but I sinned yesterday. You're going to sin today. And I got to news for you. I'm not a psychic, but uh, uh, I'm not even a prophet. I work for a non-profit, but uh, I've I've got news for you to understand that every day of the coming year, your week, month, and year, you're going to fall into sin. Look, listen to what Proverbs 24, 16 says. The righteous falls seven times. In Old Testament language, seven times is the number of completion. The righteous person falls, but he rises again. And I tell you, righteous people, and by righteous people, I mean people who have had the righteousness of Jesus given to them. Man, sometimes I fall so much, it sometimes looks like I can barely walk. But when I get back up, I have my eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. 
Salvation is not demons. Listen to me. Salvation, biblically speaking. Now, there may be some doctrine or some uh, group that teaches different, but biblically speaking, salvation is not demonstrated by never falling, but by what you do when you fall. Salvation is not sinless perfection. Salvation is a new direction away from sin toward Jesus. And yep, there'll be times that I fall as I move toward Jesus. But because of His righteousness in me, we rise again. So my question to you this morning is very simple. Has there been a time in your life when you have received this new nature? Has there been a time in your life Not when you earned your new nature, but when you simply received this new nature. What is the hope of your life? Is your hope built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness? You do not have to leave here today wondering where you stand with God. God wants you to know where you stand with Him. And for Some of you this morning, maybe you've never taken a step in that direction toward God. There's never been a time when you placed all of your trust in Jesus. Do not think a hybrid faith is going to work. It's not Jesus plus something. It's Jesus plus nothing. Are you resting upon his work for you? For some of you, you may have walked into this room, you may have tuned into this message, this service today with doubts about where you stand with God. And God in this space may have brought you to a place of conviction for you to realize that you don't have a relationship with Him. I've got good news for you today. You can have it right now. He stands and offers it to you, to all who will call upon Him. As you repent of your, of your sin, which is believing in Jesus, you put your faith and trust in what Jesus has done for you. He will save you from your sin. I don't know what step you're on in your spiritual journey, but I know that God desires to carry you a step further. If you need to make a decision today, we're going to invite you to that. We're not going to have an invitation in the sense that we normally do, but we're going to invite you if you're here on campus To look at the pew in front of you, you'll find a yellow card there that has different decisions that you could make. If there's one of those decisions today that you're ready to make, then indicate what that decision is. And as you leave today, drop that in the boxes that we'll have at the exits. If you prefer to do that online, if you're watching online, this is uh, uh, an option for you. It's an option for you, too, if you're here on site. You can choose to do that online by going to fbcmilton.org slash next steps. You can send me an email this week, jrussell at fbcmilton.org, if you've got questions, if you want to talk about this assurance or this salvation. Whatever step you need to take, we want you to take it. We want to walk with you as you take it. As we prepare to conclude our time of worship today, we simply offer that invitation to you. Whether you're sitting here, whether you're at home, whether you're driving in a car, tuning in uh, to, to let us know what step you need to take. 
To our guests, again, we're very thankful that you were here to worship with us today. We hope that you'll come back and worship anytime that you can. To our members who are here, our members, if you, it's always a joy to see you. If you brought your offering to give today, you can do that as you leave today. Drop it in the box. Again, you can go online at bcmelton.org slash giving. You can give safely and securely 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So we want you to take advantage of that. I hope this week, today, I hope that you will make it a point to pray for, uh, we'll, we'll, wait, we'll, we'll pray for students next week, but uh, the teachers are headed back to, to, I say headed back, some of them hadn't left, uh, but they are prepared, it's officially their preparation week for the school year that's to come. What a challenge they face, and, and I want to encourage you to pray for them. I would even encourage you as you drive around your area where you live to, to make a conscious decision to go park in a parking lot and, and just to pray in that parking lot for those school leaders and, and go ahead and pray for the students. You can pray for them a week ahead of time. That's fine. Uh, pray for the students or, or maybe make a trip special outside your area. I think Central School is doing that today. They're asking churches to come by. So if you want to drive to Central sometime this afternoon and just, just pray for the teachers who will be there. I hope that you'll, uh, that you'll join us virtually, not on site. This is all virtually online this afternoon at four o'clock for a prayer walk through one of the most diverse streets on the face of the earth. And it doesn't require a passport. It doesn't cost you a dime. You will, we won't even give you a stale bag of peanuts that you go on the airline. All you got to do is sign up for it. Got a couple hours this for this afternoon. I'm going to be there uh, as a participant. Randy Jackson is leading that effort. If you need credentials for that, shoot him an email within the next hour to rjackson at fbcmilton.org. I hope that you'll take part in that this afternoon. Guest, I'd love the chance to meet you in a socially distanced environment. I'll be over at a desk. You walk out of these doors over to your right. There's a desk that says the next step. I'll be there with a mask on and and with disinfected hands, just to say hello to you, I'd love if you would just stop by and say hello. I'd love to meet you face to face. This time, Tracy Allen's going to come, and he's going to dismiss us in prayer. Thank you for being here today. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, we are so grateful for this message that we have today. We are so thankful for your grace. And I pray that anyone that is here, anyone that is watching, listening, that if they feel they've fallen too far away from you, God, that they will turn and repent and say, God, please accept me back because we know with that amazing grace you have, with that mercy you have, that you are welcoming them back. Lord, just bring us all into that place to where we worship you, that we spread the gospel everywhere we're at. And we do pray for the teachers as they go back this week. Lord, there's been a lot going on in this world, a lot they have to plan for, but we do know that our teachers are amazing and they overcome any and all obstacles. Lord, the, the focus at hand is the educating children and they'll work through it and they'll get it done. We pray for their health, we pray for their wisdom, we pray for the decisions, Lord, just be with them. And for those students that have gone off to college uh, this week, they may be leaving, I pray that you will help them to stand firm for you and to be standing in that gap, representing Jesus on the campuses. Because if there's one place that this world needs Jesus, it is a college campus. And we just pray that they will represent and represent you well. Be with us as we go this week. Lord, help us to, again, be good ambassadors for you, extending love, mercy, and grace everywhere we go. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.